He knows more about the oblong spheroid than any man in America. It's Bill King. I don't know that I've ever started a conversation, interview, and asked first, what do you want to talk about? I don't think I've ever done that. Catch, where do you want to begin? It's so funny that you ask that because I was normally when you have me on, I know exactly what we're going to talk about. And I was like, well, we could talk spring football. There's, you know, obviously Rodney Terry and basketball. And oh, by the way, Texas is officially, let's start there. Texas is officially coming to the SEC next season in 2024, not this season, 2023. And it seems like a big deal. And Texas fans are so amped up about coming to the SEC. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens because if they're not ready, they can fall into that territory of pretty good, but not better than that. And it seems like the thing that is so obvious about the SEC that I don't think gets talked about enough is that teams just get trapped in this zone where they can win eight, and they can win nine, but that big step of climbing up to the Georgia and the Alabama level is such a big one. And I get the sense that Texas feels like when they arrive, Texas fans feel like they're going to be closer to Georgia and Alabama than I think they really are. And look, to Texas's credit, they did beat Georgia in a bowl game. They did play Alabama off their feet a year ago. Your Texas fans feel like – they feel like the nine-and-a-half line at Alabama in September, that that's easy money based on what happened a year ago in Austin. And so we're in a really interesting period of time in Texas athletics and Texas football where they haven't proven anything, and yet no one seems to have any fear and I feel like that is something that maybe should be recalibrated a little bit. Maybe just a little bit of fear because maybe it will help. Like, you know, if you're afraid of something, sometimes it, it's the fear that keeps the bad thing from happening. That overconfidence thing can get you into trouble. And there's no question that Steve Sarkeesian is recruiting at a high level. There's no question that he's bringing in big-time quarterbacks. But there's still a whole lot of ain't done it yet. Um here we are. I mean, it's it's going to happen in 16 months, and boy, it's going to be something to see Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I have no idea though how it breaks out. Quick note, catch just a technicality. Oklahoma and Texas are going to pay 50 million. That's exit fee, but there's also a grant of rights fee. I never saw that fee listed. Do you have any idea what they paid Fox for the one-year overlap of the grant of rights? They haven't specifically said what that number is. Right. Just that Fox is going to get something. And I wondered if that was going to be the hang-up because yeah. we knew that they were, the, the fee was going to exist. The question is, would they pay? Because if I'm Fox, I, I, I did it. one of the things that I wanted to figure out was, what are these games actually worth to these networks? And I saw a number that Fox gets over $100,000 per 30 seconds. You add it up over the course of a football game, it's like $10 million in some instances. It's less, it's a lot of money. And, you know, you start stacking up the games that we're going to lose. And I thought, God, we've just reached a point 
where the number is too high. But they apparently are going to flip-flop the Texas-Michigan game, which, oh, by the way, means that for the next three seasons in non-conference, Texas is going to go on the road at Alabama, at Michigan, at Ohio State. <laughs> three consecutive years. Nice. Um, won't that be fun? Um, <laughs> I, I'm of the opinion that you know Texas – pre-SEC likes to schedule these big-time out-of-conference games because there's just not enough good games in the Big 12. So it's like, what what are you giving your fans? You're just going to Ames and you're going to Manhattan, Kansas. And so they always try to give them these big games. And I'm like, now that you're in the SEC, if you just win nine or ten games and moving forward, there's a real good chance you're going to be in the playoff, whether you played anybody in non-conference or not. And I think that eventually Texas – playing these big out-of-conference games will go away, but they are not going away right away, in part because Fox now will want that Michigan game, they will want that Ohio State game, and that's part of what has allowed this entire thing to go through as quickly as it has and not waiting until 2025. Jeff Ketchum, Orange Bloods. Give me your best estimate on who Texas's three permanent SEC opponents will be. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world to me that it would be Arkansas, A&M, and Oklahoma. I mean, just it just does. Those are the three teams they played in the Southwest Conference back in the day. You know Arkansas wants a piece of Texas. It helps Arkansas with – that's, that's the one that's obvious, along with Oklahoma. I don't know that A&M wants to play Texas every year, but they can't play Texas every eight years either. So – you know, it may come down to, okay, they're going to play every year, but maybe that game's not on Thanksgiving because A&M's kind of kicking and screaming a little bit that they would rather that game remain LSU. Um, I don't know when you'd play the Texas and Texas A&M game. And, and by the way, thank God that game is – that's where we should have started. The fact that that game's now going to be played again, I cannot wait because – the stakes moving forward. It never felt like the stakes at the – A&M wasn't good enough at the end of their Big 12 run that that game ever mattered that much. It, it was A&M plays a spoiler role or it, the game's just not meaningful at all. Moving forward, the loser of that game is going to get a coach fired. So, you know, when we get to 2024 and 2025 and those two teams are playing each other – I think, that, you know, Jimbo's got a big contract, but if he starts losing to Sark, he's done. And I feel the same way about Sark. Like, he's got a bunch of grace right now. He's not really under any pressure, despite the fact that he's 13 and 12. And let me tell you, man, I'll have to tell you, if you're in the SEC at a big-time program and you're 13 and 12 through two years, this seems a little warm, but it's not really for Sark. But by the time they get to the SEC, should Texas lose to A&M or vice versa – I think that that's where real pressure starts to be felt because the stakes in that game with regards to recruiting, with regards to just living next door to your neighbor and the uncomfortableness that it's been for 10 years. But I think that rivalry is about to get really interesting in a very hot and contentious way. And isn't that why we enjoy watching the games, that they matter, that the loser, it's like, it's like the old in wrestling back in the day, we love the loser leaves town match. It's like there was an actual something mattered. Oh my god! If they lose, they can't, they gotta go away. I think that in the future, that the more so than even Texas and Oklahoma, 
the lose, I think for Texas, the real stakes and the real pressure is going to be, boy, you better be better than A&M. Otherwise, is this SEC move really working out if your future is to be behind A&M in the pecking order? Uh, again, it's, it's really exciting from my perspective because these are all questions that I don't know the answers to. Whereas when we talk about Big 12 and we talk about, you know, I feel like I know how that plays out. I literally have no idea how Texas is going to do in the SEC. I have no idea whether or not Sark can swim with the Sharks in the SEC because it's going to require him to win nine. He's he's never been a nine-game winner in college football. He's been a head coach for almost a decade. It hasn't yet happened at Texas. So all of the firsts and the success that he's going to need to have is going to need to happen on a platform that's much more difficult to accept high level or to achieve high levels of success than he's ever coached at before. Right. I mean, PAC 12 at Washington and USC and now at Texas, this, what he's about to enter is more difficult. Um, and, and Texas is going to need him to be at his absolute zenith as a head coach, or he's not going to survive. And Texas will be a couple of years into the SEC trying to then find a new coach. So there's a lot of pressure that I think really this season they have to win 10 games. I think they have to, at the very least, play for the Big 12 championship. Uh, It would do them a lot of good to win it, to set the stage for them going into the SEC. But there are no promises because you and I do these conversations a couple of times every year in the offseason. There's always a bunch of what-ifs, and it seems like, well, Texas could do it, but more times than not over the course of the last dozen years or so – all of the coulds that Texas could do end up not being completed. And it's, you know, you and I play this game of merry-go-round where we just spin around and around talking about all these things that Texas could do, and they never actually finish the journey. And they're going to have to or else. What's spring practice, which starts here in a couple of days, going to be like with the two quarterbacks going at it? Look, man, I was here when Chris Sims showed up. It's a different deal when the when the five star quarterback is the son of kind of an NFL legend and or comes from a big family, I don't think Texas, the University of Texas, the program itself, is fully ready. I don't. None of the people that are, are around now were around 20 years ago when Chris Sims showed up, and everything he did was news. I think that's going to be the case with Arch Manning, uh, and and you know they've got a situation where the starting quarterback. Quinn Ewers himself, uh, a five-star number one overall player in the country when he was a high school prospect, he was in the 130s last year in his first year as a starter from a ratings perspective. Not very good. I mean, kind of bottom third of Big 12 quarterbacks for the season last year. They need him to make a gigantic leap. And in the background is going to be this Arch Manning thing where every time he does anything, it's going to be news. And you know, anytime they have an open practice and Arch Manning completes a pass, it will that will be the highlight that everybody focuses on. So the quarterback's going to be the big story. They need Quinn Ewers to be really good this season. So good that he is able to leave for the NFL. Because I think they really want to shape this, set this thing up so that Arch Manning kind of learns and goes through all of the the firsts as a player on the college level this season, and then he's ready to take over in 2024. But what if Quinn, if Quinn Ewers is just pretty good 
and they win eight or nine games, and it's not enough for him to have a platform to go to the NFL, what would that mean next year when Arch Manning did not come to Texas to wait until year three to get on the field, as evidenced by the fact that he's not playing basketball this year at his high school, and he's not going to prom. He is at Texas now. He didn't give those things up just to wait two and a half years to get onto the field. So I think he, there are expectations that at the very least next year he will be the starter. They need Quinn Ewers to really pick it up. I mean, he, there, there were stretches against Alabama for a quarter. He was sensational. Against Oklahoma for four quarters, he was sensational. But take those games away, and you're left with a quarterback that was down more than he was up, and that has to change. And for him – He's got to change his commitment level. There were questions about playbook and effort in in terms of getting ready for the season last year, fair or not. You know, there were people that noticed, oh, he went on vacation and really didn't take his playbook or a football with him. And look, I've talked to people close to Quinn who've said, he's 18. He's never had a chance to, like, go on a trip and just kind of relax a little bit. Why are we putting that kind of stress on him? And I get it. And it is unfair. That kid should be able to go to Cabo for a week and just chill out. But if you are not good yet, remember when Tony Romo went to Cabo with Jason Witten? <laughs> Before a playoff game, they had a week off, and they wanted to chill out a little bit, and people overreact to that stuff. And that's always kind of been what my thought process was with Quinn Ewers. Is it fair that Tony Romo and Jason Witten could go to Cabo with Jessica Simpson back in 2008 in January? No. They should be able to. But this football stuff matters. And when you don't have a high level of success, when you aren't performing at a high level, people remember the little details. So this season, it's the reclamation year for Quinn Ewers. You're hearing about all of this commitment that he's making in practice, and he's really he's doing things that he wasn't doing a year ago. I mostly roll my eyes because, of, I mean, what else would people say? But – that, that this is being reported and talked about and discussed leads into the very early portion of next year where he has to make the jump. That game at Alabama will be the one that might ultimately define what happens in his career. If he succeeds and they play, play really well, then maybe this thing takes off exactly the way they want it. If he doesn't, and let's say he looks like a mess in that game at Alabama. I don't know if you've heard this, Bill. They're pretty good at home. Um, then maybe there are question marks about, is he the right guy? Should he be playing? Because, oh, by the way, Arch Manning is going to be the quarterback in 2024. It sets up just a bunch of hypotheticals uh, and a bunch of things that we'll all be watching game by game early in 2024 at the quarterback position because ultimately – the, the success at the quarterback position is either going to make or break Sarkeesian's career in Austin. Catch. Ten seconds. <laughs> Chris Beard to Ole Miss. That hadn't happened, but what would you advise there? <laughs> I, would, I mean, look, he's a great coach. What happened with his fiance is what happened with his fiance. Texas felt like something absolutely did happen. So it didn't matter that the charges were dropped. They felt like something happened. But this isn't the kind of thing that's going to keep him from having a successful career. It just wasn't going to happen in Austin. If I'm old Miss, I make the hire because he's the best coach available. There are very few Chris Beers out there. Appreciate it, Catcher. Got him, my man. Take care. Jeff Catcher.
orange blood, so many things that we weren't able to get to. Because Catch is a talker, man, and I like it. I listen. That's why I have him on. Anyways, Ole Miss Evie tomorrow, too, and uh, the Angelic Tones. We'll talk about that as well. Chris Bearded. What the latest is there. I'm the Nashville Hotel. Good stuff with Catch.